Morning, Grace Life, and good good morning to uh, those watching online. I thought it appropriate that I wear a blue and red striped shirt this morning. Araceli Dobb and I and uh, Bobby Blair from Grace Life Beachside just returned a week ago Saturday from Foley, Alabama, where we joined a team from Beyond the Storm and Samaritan's Purse to offer hope to homeowners who have now experienced the effects of three hurricanes in the last few months. One lady grasping to hold on to her sense of humor said that she's thinking about canceling her Hurricane of the Month Club membership. <clears throat> we, can't, we went to offer physical hope in the form of chainsaws and tarpaulins and spiritual hope in the form of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it so happened, we had one homeowner up there who only spoke Spanish. And we had nobody in camp except one person who spoke Spanish. And so our own Araceli Dobb was able to translate and uh, through interpreters offer the gospel to this lady as we assisted her in restoring her place. We're happy to be back to worship with you here and with those online. And we say, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and need strength. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever else will come. Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and welcomes you. Thank you for being here or listening online. TJ, Kyle. morning grace life how you guys doing this morning you guys want to stand with us let me go ahead and pray father god we just praise you this morning for allowing us into your presence father every week father i just pray that we would be able to carry your presence with us father with all the craziness that's going on that we would be able to rely on you that we would be able to set down all the craziness going on in the world and we would just be able to focus solely on you and just dedicate this time just to worship you on your throne father we just praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name. Confidence, you never fail me. 
God, we just praise you, Father. You are first, you know before, you are the last, Lord, you're the Story, host, declare your glory. 
most meant to keep is my victory. God, we just praise you, just not, not leaving us in that pit, Father God, and being able to pull us out. I pray that you would just give us eyes to love your people, Father. In the times that we are going through where there is so much division, there's so much reason to justify hate, Father, that we would just turn our eyes towards you, knowing that you are in control of all things, Father. We just pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father, with the love and compassion, and just not to see the things that are going on in this world, Father, that we would not be swayed, but that we would have a focus on you, and holding on to your promises of who you are, Father. Out of the depths I cry to you in darkest places I will call Incline my ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord 
to count my sinful ways How could I come before your throne Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze I stand redeemed by Christ alone
Father God, we just praise you this morning, Father. We just love you and we trust you, Father. We just pray that you would just be with Tommy as he gives your word this morning. Father God, that you would just speak in the hearts of your, or, I'm sorry, that he, you would speak through him and it would fall upon soft hearts, Father. We just pray for our live streams going out, Father. That if there is anyone hearing this message for the first time, that God has been calling them specifically by name, Father. We just love you and we praise you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. the button. Good morning. Amen to your prayer, TJ. Thank you for the music this morning. Our text, God's Word this morning is um, for us, chapter 10 of Hebrews, chapter 10, Hebrews, if you want to turn there, verses 19 through 25. I wish we had time to read all of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 19, beginning 19. Through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good morning, Grace Life. It's good to be with you today. Keep your Bibles open to Hebrews, and uh, I'm going to pray and ask God once again, to unite our hearts, to remove any distractions, to open our minds to what God's Word is going to help us understand today, and pray that we would leave here transformed, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here challenged, that we would leave here encouraged, that we would leave here ready to obey what God's Word tells us to do with joy and with gratitude. So let's pray again. Lord, this is your time. This is your day. These are your people. This is your word. I'm your messenger. Would you please, Father, hear and answer our prayers and unite our hearts today under the banner of Christ? We are in your house. We are gathered together in your name to celebrate your sacrificial love to us that I pray we would all leave here astonished, more astonished at the finished work of Jesus than when we came in, that we would be able to to see the, the value of Jesus more clearly and more appreciatively than when we got here today, Lord. Help us see him in new and fresh ways and help us to understand more as our series has been helping us understand how do we resist the devil? 
How do we do that in a way that he will flee from us? Help us to understand that, Lord, uh, what it means to put on the, the whole armor of God and to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And just get me out of the way, Lord. Help me to not be in the way of anybody who's trying to see Christ today. And may your spirit come and, and bless this time together and open our eyes and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, for the introduction question today, I just want to ask you, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Every Sunday, gather together and have a church service. Why don't we get here early? Why don't we get out of bed early? If you have young children, the more the harder it is to get them ready. And the worship team gets here early, the tech team gets here early, the hospitality team gets here early, and the greeters and the setup and the teardown and the teachers in the back and the nursery workers, all the ambassadors. And it's taxing, it's involved. It's a monumental effort, and it's a beautiful Sunday morning in Florida in November. I'm sure a lot of people could think of a million ways to spend this Sunday, and yet here we are in this room yet again, gathered together, and I want us to answer the question, why do we do this? Because if your answer is because we've always done it, because that's what Christians are supposed to do, that's the same answer that the little kid gives when you ask him, why do you eat your vegetables on that plate? He goes, I hate them. My mom makes me, and that's just what we do. Instead of understanding the derived benefit from this, the beauty, the power of what we're engaging in. If your answer is because I've always done it and because I'm supposed to and because my parents made me, that's, that's not secure footing. And there's going to be a time um, that it's going to get hard. If that's your only answer, then when it gets hard, and it will get hard, or when you get hurt by somebody in the church, and you will, or when the enemy, our accuser, Satan, hurls lies at you, and he will, then you won't stand. You won't stand. If you're just standing behind tradition and duty, that's not enough. There's a deeper, more beautiful, more powerful, more clear reason that answers the question, why do we do this every week? And that's what I want to talk about today. And normally I'll take one passage and I'll go through the whole thing and tear it apart, put it back together and apply it. Um, and this is more of a topical message. We're taking several passages. So Brent, I appreciate what you said, man. I'd love to just tear apart that whole, that's our launching text in Hebrews 10. And, and another time we'll go deep into all of that. But that's just a passage I chose to remind us of uh, several of the benefits for why we gather together. The bigger series that we're in is about resisting Satan. And, and you know that the Bible is unapologetically supernatural from beginning to end. The whole thing. So belief in God, belief in angels, belief in demons and Satan, that is not superstitious. That's biblical. That's biblical. There's an unseen world where a battle, an invisible battle rages. And whether or not we admit it, we are engaged in that battle. We engaged in it the second we confessed Jesus as Lord and believed the gospel and turned from our sin. We were in that battle. We left one battle where we were at enmity with God, and we, we left that battle and we entered another battle, the world, the devil, and the flesh, and it's intense, and we need help, and God's provided it, and that's one of the answers to why we do this. This is how we engage in battle. TJ, I love that song we sing every now and then. This is how I fight my battles. 
We're fighting a battle here. I know I can't sing. It's okay. You come anyway. This is one of the ways that we resist Satan. I know you don't get up thinking, I got to go resist Satan today, but you are. You're doing several things today. You're fighting for freedom and you're resisting Satan. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're caught up in that battle. Following Jesus will lead you into severe conflict with evil. Have you, have you understood that yet as a Christian? Have you felt that? I certainly have, not just because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a Christian. I was talking to my buddy Jeff the other day. Um, somebody asked me, they said, when have you felt the closest to Satan? I said, man, that's a weird question. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you know what I mean. And I said, man, when I'm, when I'm preaching on certain things, I feel more attacked through weird, strange ways. My children, my family, the dynamics in our home just get really weird. Through people accusing and ascribing motives to me that aren't true. Um, thankfully not in this church. This is an amazing church. From the beginning of history, the devil's been looking for ways to deceive, to oppose, to destroy God's people. He wants you distracted. He wants you out of commission, out of the great commission. He wants you disengaged. He's deceitful. He's cunning. That's why we chose this graphic that we did. And last week, we talked about opposing the devil. And uh, just because most of us are visual learners, just to help you follow along, I put three verses up here from three different authors. This is kind of the middle of this series. We, we just cranked down and we looked at this, a few passages. James, Peter, and Paul all tell us the same thing. When it comes to fighting the devil, I don't know what books you've read, what preachers you've listened to, what ideas you have in your head of how you fight the devil. Some people do really odd things. Uh, and I'm not here to judge that, but what I am here to say is we need to pay attention to what God says to do and what he says to not do. And this is without dispute. You can't contest these instructions. If it says it once in the Bible, it's clear enough. If it says it multiple times from different authors with the same Greek word, anthistomy is the word here for resist. It means to withstand, to oppose, to not fall. So let's look at it. James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is a powerful verse because Satan is a mighty angel. And there's something that we can do that's intimidating to him to the extent that he will flee from us. The word means to escape. He will run away. He does not want any of you when you're doing this resistance. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. The adversary, your adversary... Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in the faith, firm in your faith. So we got James saying resist and he'll flee. We got Peter saying he's prowling, he's looking, he's seeking. Resist him firm in the faith. And then we got Paul in the armor passage, the classic passage about spiritual armor, spiritual, spiritual warfare in verse 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, same word in Greek as resist in the other two, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So we get different ideas and truths from those passages. Paul's is saying, you may not realize that what you're doing here today is going to help you on another day. In other words, you're here today and you're thinking, well, that was okay and I'm leaving and yeah, yeah, I don't know how, that, how helpful that is. I don't know how relevant that is for today. Well, maybe you're not here for today. 
Maybe you're here for Wednesday, the evil day. You don't even have a clue what's coming. The phone will ring, right? The doctor will call you back. Your son or daughter will sit down and say, we need to talk. You'll check your bank account. Or you'll just feel this, this intensity of conflict and it's like, I feel like somebody's out to get me. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. And the Bible says we resist Satan because there's an evil day when this intensity of the battle reach this fevered, reaches a fevered pitch. And so we're supposed to be engaged in this idea of resisting. You may not resist Satan today, but he's going to oppose you. So when we started talking last week about that, we, we looked at three ways that we resist Satan. And these are powerful. They're biblical. They should be habitual. These are the ways that Christians have served God and helped one another for centuries because they're in the Bible. And so this, is, this, this was the outline from last week that I didn't finish. And I decided we're going to, like a sausage link, we're just going to cut it off and pick back up today. And we looked at the, the first two. So here's the outline. How do you join the resistance? First, you hear God's voice. That's the word of God. That's part of the armor, the sword of the spirit. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4 that the, the word is living and active. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces through bone and marrow, joint and ligament, and it lays you open. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a powerful verse. The, the Word of God is like the surgical instrument. It's the only book that you read it, but it reads you. You analyze it, it's analyzing you. It's showing you things about yourself, discerning motives. It's laying you open, and that's a good thing. That sounds scary because who wants to get cut open for surgery? But what if you die if you don't? So the Word of God is, is that's one of the means that you resist Satan. And we talked about how in Hebrews 6, it doesn't use the Greek word, and I'm not trying to get fancy and impress you, but there's two or three different words for the word word in Greek. One of them, the, the general catch-all word is logos. But the word for, that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 is rhema, and it means a saying. So you're going to pick up the sword of the Spirit to resist the enemy, and you're not throwing the Bible at the devil. <laughs> I mean, if you can picture in your mind the devil's coming after you and you throw the Bible, he catches it. He goes, yeah, I know this. I know it better than you. I know who it's about. You're using it wrong. That's why it says rhema. It's a saying. Satan's going to accuse you. He's going to try and deceive you. He's going to throw fiery darts at you of accusations and lies and deceptions. And you need to be familiar with God's word to know how to combat that. Jesus is the example in Matthew 4. Satan came at him with twisted, perverted scripture. I mean, twisting and perverting scripture. Scripture's not twisted or perverted. You know, you know what I was saying though, right? And Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. And what did Satan do? He fled. <laughs> you think, well, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is you have his word. Hear his voice, have his word. And then the second one was have his ear, prayer. And I think this is the most neglected and intimidating spiritual discipline or habit of grace, if you will. And say, by the way, Satan tells lies about all of these. We're going to talk about the specific lies he does about this, worshiping, fellowshipping, gathering for church today, but he tells lies about the Bible. Oh, it's so confusing. It's so intimidating. You could never understand it, and who knows if it's true. It's filled with contradictions. You ever heard that? You ever believed it? Satan does not want you to have that weapon. And then prayer. 
What's the lie that Satan would, what fiery dart would he throw at you? Oh, you're going to talk to God, the Holy One? You? <laughs> you? I know what you did this week. I know what you didn't do this week. And you're going to presume to walk right into the presence of God, His throne room, His holiness, and you're going to presume to talk to Him as if He cares, as if you think you're worthy? That's why this passage, amen, that's why this passage is so powerful, right? With boldness, with confidence. We'll get there. We'll get there. Stand by. So his word, prayer, and then the third means of grace. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, and I'm not saying this to be self-serving, uh, ask for my notes, read the blog on our website, or download the sermon, and that will catch you up to speed. I don't want to re-preach the message from last week. But I do want to say something that I didn't say. These are called means of grace or spiritual disciplines. I don't really like the spiritual discipline terminology because already it's, it's, uh, it's bound to confuse somebody. I like habits of grace. These are the proven biblical channels throughout the centuries that people have set themselves in to receive God's favor. And let me be clear, you don't do these uh, so that you earn God's favor. You do these because you already have God's favor through Christ, and this is how you get more of it. And an illustration that one author gave, and I think it's brilliant, is this. You know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, if you grew up in Sunday school, right? He was the chief tax collector that was a big sinner. He was greedy. He stole from God's people. He sold out the Jews. He worked for the Romans. And I think his conscience was tormenting him. And in Luke 19, it says he wanted to go and see Jesus. He heard Jesus was coming his way, but he was short in stature, like your pastor. <laughs> and if you were a chief tax collector and you wanted to get through this big crowd of Jews to see Jesus, you were going to get hip-checked. They don't like you. So what did he do? Little genius, little sinner. What did he do? He found a sycamore tree, and he climbed up in it. Now, now picture this, a wealthy CEO of a company with a pinstripe suit gets out of his leather chair in a corner office desk, right? And he climbs up in this tree. People would be looking at him like, are you crazy? Zacchaeus was wealthy. He had never done this before probably, but he was desperate, see? So let me ask you a question. Why did Zacchaeus climb up in that sycamore tree? Why? To see Jesus. Because he knew this is where I'm most probably going to encounter Jesus. So did he bust his sandals and flip-flops? Probably. Did he scratch his shins up? I'm sure he did. I've got little boys that climb trees, and they soil their clothes and rip them, and they get bloody. But man, the view's awesome. And you're, and you're going to, he did, he encountered Jesus. And he went home with that day with Jesus. That Jesus came home with him that day and had supper with him, and he came out a changed man. He enjoyed Jesus through that effort. That grace-fueled effort, climbing the tree, he encountered Jesus, and he's been enjoying him ever since. So if you want to think of these as spiritual disciplines, that's okay. It's going to require some effort and planning and strategy on your part and some organization, but it's worth it. And just remember, it's not all about the strategy, the organization, the planning, the checking off a box, the bragging about how good of a quiet time you had. That's not the point. That's not even the goal. The goal is to practice these habits so that you will encounter Jesus and enjoy Him. You read your Bible to see Jesus more clearly. You pray and you talk with God so that you can enjoy the freedoms and the benefits and the privileges of the finished work of Jesus. 
And so that you can engage with the Holy Spirit, praying always in the Spirit, Ephesians 6 says. And did you know that you show up here and you gather together with your church family and in your community group and in your discipleship group or fight club, whatever you, you, you call that group. Why? So that you can see Jesus more clearly and enjoy him. God created you to enjoy Jesus. And Satan hates these things because not only are you resisting him when you're doing them, you're growing deeper and stronger in the Lord. And he hates that. He doesn't want that at all. I mean, he's called a prowling lion for a reason. We talked about this. If you're a lion in the African Serengeti and you're looking for, a vi- you're looking for lunch, which wildebeest are you going to pick? Which gazelle are you going to put crosshairs on? The, the biggest, strongest, fastest one that's in the middle of a group? Are you going to pick him? No, he's resisted you. He's resisted you. You can't touch him. can't touch him. You're going to pick the one that's weak, that's alone, that's sick, and that's wandered away from the flock. That's your lunch. And there's a reason why the Bible uses all these animal um, analogies and illustrations for us to understand our enemy. He's a serpent because he's sly and cunning. He's a dragon because he's cruel. He's a lion because he's strategic. And all the other things that are used. He's an accuser. He's a destroyer. He's diabolical. That's what the word devil means. Diabolos or diabolos or whatever it is. However you pronounce it. So that's how we resist him. And that's why he flees. These are means of grace. Word, prayer, fellowship. And let's talk about the last one. This is what Dave Mathis says. And I I recommended his book to you, Habits of Grace. Last week, it's free on the Desiring God website, and we have some uh, little tracks. I want you to take one of these with you when you leave today. They're free, and they're in the very back, and they will reduce this entire book into a couple little 10-font paragraphs for you, and it's free in the lobby when you leave. So this last one is a fellowship. This is what Dave Mathis says. Corporate worship is the single most important means of grace and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy because like no other means... Corporate worship combines all three principles of God's ongoing grace, his word, prayer, and fellowship. He's right. And if something that powerful exists for believers, and it does, to grow us, to change us, to unite us, and to help us resist Satan, you know it's going to suffer attack. Church is going to suffer attack. Gathering is going to face opposition. And Satan, he's a master He's the father of lies, the father of deception, and so he's going to spread lies about what we do here on Sunday. And I'm going to, I'm going to address three of them, and we're going to kind of use that passage and some others. So that was all introduction. Are you ready? Here's three lies the devil wants you to believe about why we gather on Sunday. Are you ready? Here's lie number one. You're better off alone. You don't need to be here, guys, seriously. Those of you watching online, nobody needs to be, you don't need to be here together. Come on, you're not that weak. You're stronger by yourself. You're more agile. It's, it's hard to get here. You're better off by yourself. And you know what? The world helps with that lie. And uh, just for some more visual here, have you guys ever heard this? Those who walk alone have the strongest direction. Man, that sounds, that sounds cool, doesn't it? That sounds appealing and compelling. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be directionless. I don't want to be a sheep, right? And go with the flock. I want to have my own ideas. I want to be independent. 
and individualistic. That's the, that's the person that makes it in this world. Here's another one. Can y'all see that? Can you read that? A wise man can always be found alone. A weak man or woman can always be found in a crowd. And they got this cool picture of the wolf, right? The strength of the pack is the wolf. Ooh, do you guys believe that? Most people do. A lot of Christians start, are starting to believe that. You know, if that's true, Jesus was a fool. Can I just, just lay it out there. Then Jesus was a fool. Do you know, at the most intense battle in his life, in a garden, he was sweating drops of blood. He was agonizing. Do you know what he did? He brought two of his closest friends with him. No, three. Sorry. Peter, James, and John, right? Do you remember what he told them? I was reading this the other night for the first time in this light. Jesus shared something with them that he felt, he felt comfortable, I guess that's the word, sharing with them. He said, my soul is in agony to the point of death. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt that way? Who'd you share it with? Who did you share that with? The devil says, you don't need to share that with anybody. That's weak. Keep it to yourself. The son of God didn't think that. He shared it with three of his closest friends. And then you know what he said? He said, stay with me. Watch and pray with me. Oh, but I, but I, thought, the, uh, I thought weak people were alone. Jesus didn't think that. He didn't do that. Even though they failed him, they failed him when it mattered the most. They failed him. Peter would draw his sword. See, this is how we think about fighting. Peter, he pulled out his sword and he cut off the priest of the... Cut off the priest... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. It's been a late night. He cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, right? He was ready to pull his weapon out, man, and get, and, and get carnal, right, to engage the enemy. And Jesus says, wrong enemy. Put it away. Romans on our enemies. Peter, you won't pray with me for one hour, but you'll pull your weapon out, man, and you'll start slinging blood, slinging mud, right? That's what the world wants you to believe. Here's another one. If you want to be strong, learn how to fight alone. Can I be honest, man? Growing up, I believe nobody even had to tell me that. I just thought that. I watched Rambo part one, part two, part three. <laughs> Seriously, it's like it's all on my shoulders. Did you guys ever believe that? Every kid does. This is what we think of the uh, Christian life right there. It's me, man. This is my war. It's romantic. It seems powerful and compelling. But can I show you something? Look at this. Did you know when, when Paul was writing Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, do you know he was chained to two Roman soldiers and had probably been thinking about their armor for a long time and it, something jogged his memory about, oh, we have armor too. And if a Roman soldier ever tried to fight alone, he was, a, he was dead. <laughs> Lone rangers are dead rangers. This is how they fought. Whenever he says, uh, you know, the shield of faith so that you can quench the fiery darts of the enemy, did you know all of those verbs and commands in Ephesians 6 are all in the second person plural? Again, a little trying to geek out on you here. It's all, you know, in the south we say you all. Up north they say youans. But in the Bible, there's a way to use the word you, and you can tell by looking at it that it's plural. And Paul is talking to a church, and he's saying, all of you put on this armor together. 
They knew better than to try and resist Satan by themselves. He's talking to a church that would gather together regularly. You're better off alone. That may sound romantic, but it's foolish. And here's a few verses. This is so interesting to me. So interesting to me. This is Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And that's not just a statement about marriage. It's certainly not less than that, but it's more than that. Did you know eight verses after this were introduced to our arch enemy, our nemesis, Satan? Eight verses after this, now the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field that the Lord God created. What does that tell you? <laughs> it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. You don't need to be alone. You need a helper. You need to guard the garden. That was one of his mandates. Guard the garden. Keep the garden. Work it. Till it. Tend it. Protect it. And you can't do that by yourself. You're easy pickings. Now remember, we're combating, we're combating the lies of the enemy. Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's Solomon, one of the wisest men in the Bible. I think we have one more. Let me see. Yeah, Proverb 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Let me put that in modern shoe leather for you. Whoever isolates himself is a fool. It's not only dangerous, it's foolish. God never intended for you to live the Christian life alone. And when we gather together, we're stronger, we're better, we suffer better, we worship better. We confess sins. There's all these one another's that we can't do when we're apart. So that's where Satan wants to keep you apart, especially during a pandemic, right? That's advantageous to him for sure. I read an article the other day, and it said this. Young adults have never been more globally connected but locally isolated. Locally connected. Globally, I'm sorry. Globally or digitally, you could say, connected but locally isolated. In other words, they're together. They're alone together. <laughs> and if you want to know what I mean, just go to a restaurant where some people are hanging out with their device. Are they alone or are they together? You tell me. There's increased instances of isolation, loneliness, depression, and suicide because that lack of deep connection is felt. Listen, guys, it's hardwired into our spiritual DNA to seek out community. God said, let us make man in our image. In other words, you, you bear God's image the best when you're in community. It blows my mind to think about that. God is a trinity, tri-unity. God was in community before he ever made man, and he made us in his image. So we don't fully or completely bear his image until we're together and find community. And this is the place to find true Christian community, to unite together, to resist Satan, to grow deeper to grow stronger, and that's why it's a means of grace. That's why it's probably the most important. And that's why the apostle, whichever apostle it was that wrote the book of Hebrews, devoted almost an entire chapter to it. Because people, if you know the book of Hebrews, they were chunking church, man. They were getting persecuted for it. And they're thinking, is it worth it? Are we going to suffer the plundering of our goods? Are we going to are we going to get attacked? Like, are we going to get our heads lit on fire in Nero's garden for this? It's not worth it. 
I mean, if anybody had an excuse to skip church, <laughs> I mean, what's our excuse? Thank you, both of you, or one of you. <laughs> That's what they were doing until the, the author of Hebrews is saying, look, do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves as is the habit of some, but consider how you may stir one another up to love and good works, especially as the day approaches. That's a, that's a powerful passage. Christianity is not a private affair. It's not a private affair, but Satan would love for you to try and resist him on your own. Not just apart from God, but apart from the church. Apart from the fellowship. Where you're weaker and sicker and slower. I think a lot, a lot of times we think of spiritual heroes. And we think, man, they went at it all alone like Martin Luther. You know, who felt this acute sense of warfare with the devil. If you've read any of Luther's writings, he felt like Satan was present in the room with him when he was in the castle translating the New Testament from Greek into German. He would throw his inkwell at Satan. He felt was in the corner of the room. But this is what Luther said. Check this out. At home, in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, where the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. Isn't that powerful? And I know some people think, well, well, hang on there. I'm against organized religion. I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. What does that mean? That means they like this idea of God, but they don't like this idea of church. So it's been reduced to, well, I'm, I'm against organized religion. Well, then you're pitting yourself against Jesus. And that's not a good place to be. Because Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his habit. Right? Jesus went to religious feasts and religious festivals. Jesus is not against organized religion. Jesus is against false religion. The kind that leaves widows destitute. The kind that doesn't cl clothe the poor and feed the hungry, the kind that tells lies about who God is and what salvation is. Jesus is against false religion. Jesus loves the church. It's his bride. <laughs> you want to say that? Can you imagine? I mean, I'll just tell you right now, if you, say, if you came up here and told me, Tommy, we, man, we love you. You're, you're awesome. We just can't get enough of you. But Sarah, ah, I don't know, man. I'm a pretty nice guy until you say that. <laughs> That's the two shall become one. Sarah is just as much a part of me as I am. Jesus is not going to suffer you trying to pit him against his bride. It ain't going to work, bro. The two become one. That's why I love Dave Mathis's outline. Belong to his body. That's his body. He's the head. Amputated body parts don't do much good. Neither do soldiers who abandon the army and then try and, and go and fight on their own. It ain't going to work. And, and it, took, it took God a while to, to prove that to me. Not because I abandoned the church. I was just checked out for a while. Even in ministry, you know, you can be checked out. It took God years to remind me, um, honestly, how much I need all of you to help me see Jesus more clearly. Jesus is in, he's, what do you call it, the megapixels? He's in 480, man, standard, <laughs> without your help. 
you're helping me get to 4K now. You know they came out with an 8K TV out here? That's the church will help you get there, man, where Jesus is not pixelated anymore. He comes into clear focus. You can see him and admire him and, and appreciate his finished work and leave astonished. And you can do it better in here than you can out there. So that's point one. And uh, I just want to take a look at some of that text for a second. The second part of it first, okay? So check this out. He's writing to the Hebrews, and he says this, this, this saying over and over, let us, let us, let us. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us draw near to God. And then he says, let us consider one another. Three different times he said that. So this is obviously something that's community engaged, right? We are together in this. There's a definite community dynamic here. So let's look at the, the second part of that. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. You know that word actually means to think up? Kata nueo. It means to think up. It's, I'm, I'm going to show up at church, but when I show up, I'm not checked out. I'm showing up, and look, this would probably almost be more applicable, some of this, for a community group or a discipleship group. Unless you get to church early and you're actually engaging people in conversation, and you stay later, you're part of a prayer team, or you're, you're, you're considering. You're showing up, but you're considering, look, I want to challenge some people that I know, that know me. I want to challenge them, and I want to be challenged. I want to encourage them, and I want to be encouraged. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Now, I don't want to give you bad news here, but that word stir up, it's a provocative word. It was used for sour grapes. You ever bit down into something sour and just really tangy? And ugh! It's, it, it's a word that means to challenge somebody. Because this is the beauty of a covenant community. We're in covenant with one another. That means your life is not your own. See, that's the rub with some people. It's like, nobody else can challenge me how I spend my money, who I sleep with. It's my life. I'm the captain of my soul, man. None of your business. Uh-uh. We're in covenant together. We are in a covenant together. Consider how you stir one another up. I've needed to be challenged by several of you just in the last six years. And thank God you did that in love, with gentleness, with a stubborn pastor. You considered, you thought, you know, like Nathan, when he confronted King David, who was living an adulterous life. He thought, he prayed, and he confronted David with a parable. You remember that? He was thoughtful. You don't just show up to somebody and shine a flashlight in their eyes and slap them around. You've got to be thoughtful. Who responds to thoughtless rebukes? I don't. I'm dismissive. It's like, dude, go away. You're a jerk. You're mean. You're rude. It says, consider how to stir one another up to what? To love and good works. How to stir one another, up, one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Parakaleo, coming alongside and calling upon one another. That means I don't just want to challenge you and be challenged by you. I want to encourage you. I want to turn, I want to turn your eyes to look at Christ, and I want to do that together. I was reading, I don't even remember what it was, an article, a blog, about a man, a Christian man who was at a restaurant eating lunch by himself, and he happened to witness right next to him in a booth. 
two men that were facing one another on either side of the booth, and one of them was confessing sin to the other one that impacted him in some way. And he said the man started weeping, just uncontrollably weeping with empathy and with compassion and with sadness. And he said the other man got up and got out of the booth and walked over and sat down beside him and they like bear hugged one another. And it wasn't a a homosexual type of thing. (laughs) He said even looking at it, you wouldn't have even thought that. It was like pure love. That's what this is talking about. How to stir, one, how to encourage somebody. It started, I'm sure, at that restaurant with that man got stirred up. He got challenged. He's like, bro, you are going down a totally dangerous and foolish path for you, for your family, for your church, for your community. Anyway, that's what that means. It's about stimulate. How do you stimulate? Consider how to stimulate people. We need to be stimulated in a good way. Not to anger, but to challenge. And then we need support. We need to be somebody to come alongside us and encourage us. We fight sin better together. We battle unbelief better together. When you're alone, you shrivel up, man, and you languish. You're not resisting Satan when you're alone. You may think you are, but he's already got you. Really? God-ordained Christian community, Paul Tripp says, precisely because I cannot face life on my own. Can you confess that? Does that bother you? Does that rub you the wrong way? You are not able to face life on your own. It will chew you up and spit you out. You're not strong enough. But together we are. We are. One of the greatest, most powerful, and often neglected means of grace God has given us is each other. It's each other. So lie number two is that this is a waste of time and it won't change anything. Lie number one is I'm better alone. I don't need other people. I'm on my own, man. I'm Rambo. You're dead, Bo. (laughs) Sorry, that's serious. Shouldn't be laughing. The second lie is this is a waste of time. It won't change anything. Well, I got to go fast. I always do this, don't I? One of my favorite Psalms, and every time I read it, I feel like I can charge hell with a water pistol, guys. It's that powerful. Is Psalm 73. And it's a long psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it's about a man who starts out. He says, Hey, truly God is good to Israel. But as for me, my, my steps were slipping. I was sliding. And there's this image of a man who's climbing. Thank God. He's hiking. He's trying to get to the top of the mountain, but he's sliding. He's slipping and he's moving toward the edge. And then he tells you why. He says, Because I began to look around and I was tired. I was exhausted. I was confused. I was, I was angry and envious of wicked people, and my life was headed in a tailspin of a terrible direction. And he starts talking about it, and then in the very middle of the psalm, something changes. He says this, he says, when I thought about how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. That means it was troubling in my eyes in Hebrew. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Then I discerned. Then I perceived that the wicked, they're the ones that are slipping. And the rest of this, this is one of the most beautiful and powerful psalms in the Psalter, I think. And it ends up with, who have I in heaven but you? And there is none I desire on earth but you, O Lord. You're my rock, and so on and so forth. I mean, people frame this and put it on their wall at Christian bookstores, the end of the psalm. But did you know that Here's what it's easy to miss. Had this man 
tried to fight his thoughts of doubt and despair and confusion on his own, we'd have never had this psalm. And you know when it all changed for him? Do you know when it all changed, when he got clarity? When he went to church, when he went to the temple or the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Something happened in here that didn't happen out there. And that's just really intriguing and interesting and instructive for me, to be honest with you. When I thought how to understand it, I skipped church and went to Disney, and I just got clarity. No, and look, every now and then, hey, I'm not, you ain't going to get no judgment here, guys. Disney's the happiest place on earth until you go in the middle of July. Go ahead. <laughs> With six kids, you go try that. See how happy it is. Anyway, he doesn't say anything about I went to the golf course, I went to the deer stand, I went to the beach. And hey, I've been to those places too, and every now and then, I get it. Look, no judgment. Everybody has a Sunday break, I understand. But let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Nature has its limits. And I grew up, man, hearing that with people. It's like, hey, you want to go to church? I, I worship God in my deer stand. All right. Can I ask you a question then? They'd always say, I can. I can worship God on the golf course. I can worship God in my deer. I can worship God in my truck driving. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I ask you a question? Are you? Let's just be honest. Just me and you, man. Me and you and the Lord. Are you? You go to that deer stand and you're worshiping God, are you? And can you stir one another up to, to loving good works up there by your, by your little old lonesome? Nope, you can't. When I thought how to understand, it was too much for me. It was too painful for me. Then I went to church. I wish that Asaph would tell us more about what exactly it was. Was it the sermon? I mean, look, we don't just come here for uh, like there's some religious sedative that we're given. That's what the world tells you. Yeah, you guys go in your stained glass prisons and stick your head in the sand. No, my friends, listen, you don't leave your problems at the door when you come to church. You bring them in here. This is the only place I believe in the world where you can truly get clarity. He didn't say, when I, when I thought how to understand it, it was too painful, then I turned on talk radio. Then I turned on MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or whatever it was, and now, oh, I get it now. Oh, I'm so helped. I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you. Be informed. Sure, be informed. You're not going to get out there what God has only promised to give you in here. It's not going to happen. And we don't just come here for a feeling either. Because if you come here for a good feeling and then the tech goes out or the sermon's confusing <clears throat> or too long or the air conditioner's broken, those things happen, friends, okay? That's not why you're here to get a good feeling. You're here to get understanding, to get clarity. Maybe it's a lyric that you heard TJ sing today. Maybe it was a prayer somebody prayed over you or is going to after the service. Maybe it was a conversation you had. Maybe it was something a kid said on the way. I don't know. I've had all kinds of, of clarity-shaping experiences at church from surprising sources. Some of them toddlers. <laughs> hey, out of the mouth of babes, I'm telling you. That's not, not anyway. Everything changed for him. Everything changed for ASAP. It's not a waste of time. Now look, if you're going to a church <clears throat> and the word of God is not being opened up and the gospel's not being heralded with clarity and precision and with passion and there's no depth, then that's not going to happen. I can tell you that with assurance. Here's some, some passages about this, and we're going to close out here. Check this out. 
Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So have I looked upon you, where? In the sanctuary. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Man, I know that the heavens declare the glory of God. I know that, but nature is limited. In fact, I've heard people use that psalm and I'm like, keep reading the psalm, keep reading it. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, have you read the rest of Psalm 19? Do you not realize it's like setting you up to tell you the surpassing glory of Scripture? <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God, you know, but the Word of God is perfect in converting the soul. They forget that, and that's in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and your glory. In here, right here. That's why I just want to show you Jesus Christ and His finished work and ask the Spirit to apply that and just get out of the way. That's all I want to do every week is pretend that the Greeks are out there saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Here's another one. Ephesians 3. That you being rooted, and this is Paul's prayer, that you, the Ephesian church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, what's that say? Alone in your deer stand? No. <laughs> I love to hunt, guys. I'm from Arkansas, so don't think I'm down in hunters. I'm not. Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Wow, we do that when we gather together better than when we're alone. That may be a hard pill to swallow, but that's biblical. It is. 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, that is us all together, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. So in here, you're beholding power and glory. You're celebrating the, the breadth and the width and the depth of God's grace, and you're being transformed from one level of glory to the next as you behold Jesus together. That's powerful. A mom uh, had to miss church for a period of weeks, and she wrote an article about her loss. I'm going to read this really fast. This is what she said. When I skip Sunday morning, number one, I miss uninterrupted time to listen for God's wisdom. When I'm in the service, I have an uninterrupted, uninterrupted time, time to focus on what God is teaching me and reflect on how he wants me to grow. My child is being cared for. My phone is on silent, and there are no chores waiting for me. I can focus. I can engage my heart and mind. Secondly, I miss the value of worshiping God through music with others. Worshiping God through music on Sundays with hundreds of people grounds and fuels my faith. It inspires me to keep worshiping, keep believing, keep serving, keep loving. Thirdly, I miss the power and movement of the church when I miss Sunday mornings. I miss how God is moving our church community to action. When I miss the host welcome, connecting opportunities, and the stories of God at work, I miss getting to be a part of it because I don't know how. So I can do everything I can to attend a Sunday morning service because when I miss a Sunday, I miss way more than I ever thought. And this is the last point, and I really am closing with this. Uh, yeah, that's a great, I think I hit that by accident. Maybe God wanted you to see that. Can you see that? Amy Carmichael, missionary to India for 40-something years. She said, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and, to, and so slips out of the room more or less when there is a true song. You want to talk about resisting Satan? Martin Luther believed this too. He believed that Satan cannot endure singing. That's why he would go to his fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst, them being the devil and, you know, at the time, the popes, the cardinals, the bishops. 
He said, let's sing together and Satan will flee the room. So here's the third, third lie. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. Who do you think you are? We've got it all together in here. We're Christians. We don't sin. We don't mess up. We don't get depressed. We don't get sad. We don't make mistakes. And I know probably, I, I don't know that I've met a Christian that has said those things, but it is so easy for us to forget that that's what some people think. And that's why it's so good to confess your sins to one another and be honest and walk in the light because Satan is the prince of darkness and he wants to keep people in the dark and confused about what goes on in here. Satan wants people to think we've got it all together in here. He really does want some people to think that when the truth is we don't have it all together. We're being held together <laughs> by greater power, Jesus Christ, right? But there's some people that you may be thinking of right now that they're not going to come to church because their life's a wreck. Their life is an absolute dumpster fire, and they're embarrassed, and they think, I could never belong there. They're too put together. I'm not worthy. And that's when we go to the first part of this Hebrews chapter 10 passage. Look what this says. Brent, I know you've been waiting on this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then the very next verse is, let us consider how to stir one another up. Do you realize the lies that Satan tells you are, dis are dispensed, not dispensed. What's the word? Dissolved, I guess, right there. We know we're not worthy. We never were worthy. We were never under that assumption at all. Jesus Christ made us worthy. He died for us, and because of him, we have confidence. You could never believe the lie of Satan that says, you don't belong in here. Oh, this is the one place I do belong. I feel like I don't belong out there sometimes, that there's no place for me out there. But here... Here, there's camaraderie. We're a band of brothers and sisters. We're recovering from those things that were leading us down the primrose path, right? The blood of Christ has cleansed us. We have confidence. We can have boldness. We have a sympathetic high priest who died for us. Jesus died so that we could experience this power, this unity, see this glory, and experience this beauty. How? How did he do that? You know, Jesus lost all community on the cross, his father forsook him. His friends abandoned him and betrayed him. His people rejected him. He lost all community. Why? So that you and I could be brought back into his family. So that the sword of divine justice that was placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, the flaming angelic sword, we could never get back in. We'd be mutilated, right? Jesus stepped in our path and said, I'll take the mutilation. His body, that passage says, like the curtain that was torn. When Jesus died, do you remember? The, the veil of the temple was, was rent in two, just like his body was torn in two so that you and I could come into the holy place and meet with God and meet with one another. That's the beauty of this. Jesus died so that we could have this fellowship, worship. This is how you resist the devil. This is how you grow deep and strong. So that's our message for today. Sorry, it went a little bit over, but... I'm going to pause and we're going to pray, and our worship team is going to sing a song of reflection. While you sit in your seat, 
and resist Satan through prayer, through reflection, and we're going to have a prayer team at the back that would love to, to have you come and confess a sin or celebrate a victory God's given you or ask for help or ask for counseling or just say, I'm having a hard day. Can you please pray with me? I just don't have anybody to pray with. Not today, Satan. <laughs> you got somebody to pray with today. They're going to be right back here. Or you come and grab me. I'll be back there. Or grab anybody and just say, pray with me. I did before the, before the service. I grabbed Craig. I said, Craig, come pray with me, man. I'm nervous. I got so much to say, and I'm not sure I'm supposed to say all of it. <laughs> so let's pray now, okay? Lord, thank you so much that you have given us all the resources we need, all the armor to resist the enemy. And some of that same armor that we put on in a strange and supernatural way is going to grow us. It's going to make us stronger. It's the way that we draw near to you, God. The one who already secured our victory. And we are thankful for that today. We celebrate that today. And I know that we all come with presuppositions sometimes to church and Sometimes we do what Hebrews 10 talks about. We get challenged. We get stirred up maybe by a provocative statement and a message, Lord, and something we needed to hear. So if anybody in this room has believed any of those lies today, Lord, I pray you would undo it by your Holy Spirit, by the power of the Word of God operating in our hearts. If anybody believes they're better off alone, they're stronger alone, or that this is a waste of time, or that they don't belong here, May they know that's a, that's a lie, Lord. That's a, a satanic lie from the enemy. I pray you just drive home those truths now as we ponder just in the quietness of our chair. pray if anybody's just confused on what, how you become a Christian in the first place, you repent, you believe the gospel that Jesus is God's son who was raised from the dead, who died for sinners. pray you give them clarity on that as we sing and pray and reflect in Jesus' name. Amen. Got our prayer team right back here. If you want to come and meet, and we'll dismiss in just a few moments with some announcements.
angels ascending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love this is my Father God, we just pray that you would just be with our brothers and sisters this week, Father God, that you would just come to their side, that you would just open their eyes, or you would just step in in a miraculous way, Father God, that you would just give us the power of the Holy Spirit and the boldness just to go out, just to share your word and reach out to our brothers and sisters to come alongside them, Father God. We just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, TJ. This Friday, um, I know we've been talking about... Um, for a few weeks now, um, is the Together for Life Gala for the Central Florida Pregnancy Center. And there's two ways to um, join this gala if you'd like to online. Um, the whole event is remote, but our at the Roth home, they're hosting a watch, a watch party. So if you'd like to attend in person with others, um, you can RSVP for that um, in the Church Center app or on the website under events. And then under that same app and same um, webpage, there's directions to uh, join from home if you'd like to do that. So that's this Friday night um, coming up here. 
the Together for Life Gala for the Central Florida Pregnancy Center. Um, and then at the end of the month, um, it's fifth uh, Sunday time again, where we gather all together, all ages, nursery, um, through our adult service. Uh, we get to worship, and the weather has been really nice, so we're going to um, worship under the overhang outside um, and have a family service together Um and then we are also going to celebrate baptisms and new memberships. So if that's something that you um, have questions about or if you're interested in being baptized or um, becoming a member of Grace Life Church, then you can email me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com. Um, and that info is also in the app as well um, if you uh forget or need to see it in person. It's on our website also, uh, gracelifeflorida.com. But... Um, Last week, I had mentioned that we'd have a catered lunch together uh, for the first time in many Fifth Sundays, um, and I'm super excited to let you know that Tijuana Flats has graciously um, donated um, our lunch uh, together. So tonight, in the app, what we need your help with um, is just for you to RSVP um, and then choose your choice of meat beef or chicken, and there will be a form um, in the event in the app. So if you check right now, that form is not live, but it will be live tonight. So um, these next couple of weeks, uh, if you would just check into the app and let us know which option you'd like so that we can let them know um, what to make for us. So super excited to have that time of fellowship uh, together. Um, and now I hope you're super excited to have that time uh, even more now, too, as we're learning about that together. And then lastly, just a reminder, community groups are still uh, going on and going strong. Um, we, and I haven't updated it, I'm sorry, the online um, will no longer be meeting at this time. But we have uh, Deltona, two of our Deland groups in Orange City. So if you're interested in joining those groups, you can also find that information um, in the app or on the website. Um, and it's just a regular opportunity to meet and fellowship, pray together, um, and also have uh, pinpointed outreach opportunities uh, within our community. So if that's something that you um, are interested in and would like to know more, head to the app or head to the site, or you can grab uh, myself or a greeter in the lobby. We'd love to share more with you. Um, and that's all I have um, for you today. So if you want to stand with me together, we'll say our charge. It'll be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Have a great week.